Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Iron Brew Podcasting Conversation Series. It's another 80s and early 90s episode for you today, which means we've got former Iron commentator Tony Shepardson to do this interview for you. Although I think myself and Matt Blanchard, we might chip in with one or two a little bit later on as well on this one. And today we're going to be chatting to former player, former assistant manager. It's the man with the flag. It's Mark Lillis. And in a little bit of a change to what we normally do, uh, I'm going to kick things straight off with the first question. And instead of going back to the beginning, let's start with the present day. And Mark, could you bring us up to speed with what you're doing at the minute, having left Huddersfield? Well, recently I've been working, I left Huddersfield in 2016, I was five years there as gallery manager and then I went really going abroad to been working in Spain and Australia and recently in 2018 we won the Indian Super, Super League with uh, Chennai FC with John Gregory. So I've been travelling the world really with my coaching. At the present time, um, I'm on a mentoring course with the LMA um, I'm due to finish in June. We've got a few more sessions to do with them. I feel so uh, passionate about uh, being a mentor for, for a me- the mentees now. We didn't have it in our day. You know, when I left uh, Scunny in 99 after the final and took a manager's role at 39, you know, you, you lose a game, you're on your way back. You didn't have anyone to talk to. You couldn't bring your dad or anyone like that. But um, I'm doing uh, a mentoring course with the LMA, the League Managers Association. I'm just waiting to get the tick off from that hoping to um, to get into that as well. But I'm still, you know, I'm uh, I'm still active. I'm still passionate about being in football. But at the moment, I'm, um, I'm a key worker for um, a care home in Manchester. That's great, Mark. So like I said at the start, Tony Shepherdson's going to be doing this interview. So, Tony, over to you then. Right, let's go back to where it all started. Huddersfield Town. What was it like to start at Huddersfield Town? How did you win your first team place? And was it a lot harder than, than it is now? Yeah, I think so. In our day, you became an apprentice and, and um, you had to clean the stadium. You had to clean the offices. And then, you know, you had to go out and train and that. And, uh, and there was four apprentices looking after the stadium when I was there. Um, and, and staff, were, the, the management staff was a manager, a physical stroke assistant manager, uh, a scout, and that was it. And you just got on with it. Um, now, obviously, there's, you know, you look on the, you know, the live games on TV now, and there's maybe 10, 15 staff in the dugout, <laughs> sports science and everything, which is, hey, that's a modern day. I've come through it and I've experienced that. But uh, not when I made my debut when I was 18. Um, I got called into the manager's office and uh, he just said, look, um, I'm going to start you on Saturday. Uh, I think it was Newport County away on a Tuesday night. And he said, I'm going to start you, I'm going to play you on the right wing. So I said, OK, Gaffer, no problem. So he said, all I want you to do is run up and down, get crosses in and defend. So I said, right, that'll do. And that was it. It was great. Right. Can you just remind us of some of the players you had at Huddersfield then and the managers that you played for throughout from when you first started to when you was last at Huddersfield as a manager in the academy? Huddersfield was a guy called Tom Johnson, a Scotsman, who, who brought me in. I, I went, um, I got released at Man City at 16, and I went scouting round to all a lot of clubs in the northwest. And my last port of call was Huddersfield Town. And if I wouldn't have got a deal there, I would have just jacked it and gone with my mates that I was at school with at 16, and uh, just been a Brit layers and all that, and gone into into that side of it. But I, fortunately for me, I got offered a contract at Huddersfield when I was 17. Um, from Tom Johnston and then a guy called Mick Buxton uh, <laughs> over there uh, and he was he was with me he more or less made my part of making my career as, as accepting life and being tough and, and dealing with you know problems you've got or just dealing with he used to tell me dad like when he had a go at me at half time he, he, I was like the incredible Hulk and he thought that I was going to come over and punch him but <laughs> I never did because he was the manager. He was the manager. And is that the but, Tom Johnson that was at Grimsby Town as manager? It could have been, yeah. It was, it was a Scottish, Scottish guy. Lovely. Looked, smoked yeah. a pipe every day. 
come down to training uh, in his suit and his pipe and uh, watch the strain. Did he have a trilby? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's him. That's he used him. to come down with his trilby on, um, come down and watch his training, wind his window down in the car, see how we were training. And uh, when, I, when I got my contract, I, I came with my dad uh, into his office because obviously in them days you had to knock on the office to, to go into the manager's room. And he said, sit down, both of you. He said, uh, I've got some news for you. And uh, we thought, oh, here we go. And he just said, and he pulled out of his drawer a little contract, a year's contract. And that was me. That was my career kicked on there. I kicked on from there. Excellent. Um, you was born in Manchester and you finally, from Huddersfield, you joined Manchester City. Was that your boyhood club, the one that you went to watch, stand on the terraces and have all your favourites? Massively, yeah, massively. You brought, you brought, in Manchester, you, once you're 10 seconds old and you come out of your mum's womb, you're either a blue or a red. And, I, and we were blue. Uh, and I, I, um, I, uh, I used to play for Manchester Boys uh, and captain them. And then I got the chance to go to train with Man City. Uh, and then obviously at 16, I, I got released from there. But when I was, I think it was 25, I went back there as a, uh, as a player, and the guy who released me, he was still there, and I remember shaking his hand, and I said, do you remember me? And he said, you, I do, Mark, and he said, you've done fantastic to get yourself back here, I'm really pleased for you. So that 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 was good, that's good football, people around you. But uh, no, um, playing at Man City, no one ever take that away from me. You know, it's it the club I love, all my family there, I scored on my debut at home, in front of my mum and dad and all my family. Uh, scored at Wembley, I claimed a hat trick, but I didn't get it when we lost five four against Chelsea in, in the Members Cup final. But no, that that uh, that time there was fantastic. And then I got sold to Derby, which uh, came out of the blue. Uh, let's just go back to City. Can you sort of uh, make us a little bit envious with some of the big names that were there at the time? I would say big names now. I would say they're not now big. big. The only people that Paul Power played there, Neil McNabb was there. No, uh, big, yeah. big, big Mick McCarthy, who's obviously yeah. Iron, they were there. Uh, Neil McNabb, a great midfield player, that was there. Uh, we, we had a lot of young players coming through then in the, in the U team, um, which uh, which was good as well. But uh, no, we had some. Kenny Clements was there. We, we had a we had a good group of players, and it was League One. You know, I stepped up to League One, which is the Premiership now, and. People ask me, was there a difference? I said, yeah, in League One, you had maybe you got one chance in the game or two chances and, and you had to stick them away. In, in the Leagues, two, three and four, you maybe got five or six chances. Then after that, you went, as you've just said, you went to Derby and then, then to Villa. And then, of course, it was on to Scunthorpe United. Was it to Mick Buxton's influence that brought, brought you to Glamford Park? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, I respected that guy so much, and I still do. I spoke to him the other night. We still speak to a lot if I need advice, or you know, I always speak to him. Um, and, and coming down to uh, Scunthorpe um, for me was a great challenge. I seen it as a stepping stone to get into my coaching career as well. Um, we'd had I'd moved my family around uh, all around the country. Um, we, we had three children: my wife Gino, she was with us. I can remember it clearly. We ended up um, moving back into Scunthorpe and um, it was fantastic going there and playing there. Great club. And it was one of them where my children at the time, I had Joshua, who's uh, a goalkeeper at Rochdale, I had Georgina, I had Jacob, and we moved them around so much. I wanted to get to a place where we could have put roots there, where they could stay there for the, for the remainder of their education and come through it. And that was a big thing about Scunthorpe. It was so happy and people were so good to us that we stayed in a place called Scotter. Um, and we met, we met some fantastic uh, people that were still our friends all, over the last 30 years. The Taylor family, the Eric family. It was, it was fantastic. So uh, we stayed in a place, uh, Scotter, like I think I just said. And we brought them straight through and, and we had 17 years in Scunthorpe. Excellent. And you enjoyed Scunthorpe? Oh, I love right. it. Go back there tomorrow. Oh, right. Uh, right, let's get on to Mick Buxton. Um, as I remember Mick, he was the sort of manager, if you're in the bottom three or four at Christmas, get Mick in and he will save your side for you. I always used to think maybe a little bit of a big stick man 
but you maybe can say different to that. Yeah, he was. I I I went in uh, to coach with him, so I was the the good guy, and he was a bad guy type of thing. A bit like me and Laws, he was uh, at the time. But uh, when Mick was there, he'd give me a little bit of leeway. He'd watch me go and coach, you know, he'd, where before he'd be on the pitch all the time, barking his orders out. And he'd give me that little bit of belief that I can actually take this session. And he'd come back. And then sometimes, he'd, when I knew that I'd, you know, won him over, he'd go back, he'd be back in his office, you know, doing, you know, scouting reports. And he said, how did the lads do? How did he do? How did he do? How did he do? And, and I'd give him a report back and how he'd done on training. So, yeah, he did, you know, he, he, he was like that, but he, he was a, a very excellent manager and knew the game really, really well. And, and that, for me, as a young coach coming into football, you need that around you. You need people around you. How many attributes of other managers have you sort of taken on board when you've been managing and been an assistant manager? Or have you just done it as Mark Lillis would do it? I've done it as, as as I feel, but Arthur Cox, Sergeant Major type uh, manager at Derby County, Graham Taylor was above everyone else when I went to Villa. We had sports scientists in there. We had cold baths after training. We had overnight stops uh, when we were playing at home. We stayed in the hotel because it worked out that all the players had had um, young children who would maybe keep them awake at night. And then what he'd do after a month of it, he'd have a big party for the wives and the girlfriends. He he learned me so much. Um, you know, I've learned I learned so much from him. And I've took from a lot of uh, John Gregory I've worked for uh, at Derby in the Premiership and now uh, recently in India when we're over there. And you take bits and pieces out of uh, them and then you, you put it into yourself. When I left uh, Scunthorpe, I must admit, in 1999, I was 39, I maybe took it too soon, management, because yeah. you didn't have mentors, you didn't have a, anyone around you. I maybe should have stayed at Scunthorpe, because when I, I came to Scunthorpe in 96, I'd come as a youth coach from Huddersfield and, and work with the first team. I always wanted to work with first team players. I worked with youth players, but I always wanted to challenge myself with first team players, and I felt it so good that I could handle and work with, with senior players. In India, we had eight nationalities. Brazilian, Spanish, Portuguese. So it was, it was fantastic for me. But going back to what you're saying there, yeah, I've, I've learned from a few, but, you know, then you have to make your own stamp on it. Right, just let's go back to when you joined Scunthorpe as a player in 89. Um, can you talk us through your debut, which seems rather alarming? Yeah, I think it was Exeter. I think it was 5-4 at home. It was. Yeah, I can remember it clearly because... I honestly remember when we were going down, I was stood at the top of the pitch, halfway line, and they'd scored. And I was thinking to myself, what have I done here? I've come from Aston Villa, I'm coming to uh, Scunny United, and then the way I am, I thought, I need to do something about this. Because I wasn't really on the same wavelength as the Scunny lads at the time, because I'd come from, obviously, a quite a big club. And then I just clicked into it, and I thought, I need to pull these out of this. Can't swear, but... Need to pull these out of the whatever, and uh, I remember it so uh, so vividly and scoring goals, coming out and winning it. And after the game, I, I think I, I might have got a player of the, the game, but the fans in there having a few pints, pork pies, or whatever, and celebrating, and that that's what Scunny Scunny fans are like. You know, I always say Scunny fans, you need to make them get off the seats. Don't. Don't let them get off the seats while you're not doing anything and not playing well. Get the Scunny fans off the seats. And when they get off the seats, they'll make a right noise. The next season, uh, because you finished mid-table in the first season, the next season, it was Blackpool in the playoffs, drawing 1-1 at home and then losing 2-1 away. And I remember watching you troop off that pitch, how disappointed you were. And you were still Gene players up after the game. Yeah, no, that's it. In, in that game, it was, you know, I, I remember uh, heading, having a chance to score a goal, headed it, it, the underside of the band come out and I think the keeper caught it. And I thought that was a, that was a, that was a thing where I thought, if that goes in, we, we're at Wembley. But coming off the pitch, it's just the way I am. And I'm still, I'm still like that now. You know, um, I'm, I'm always on the positive side of life and the players coming off and, and that, a lot of a lot of them, you know, a lot of them players stayed in the game, but a lot didn't. 
but um, it, it was a tough. It was a tough. Uh, it was tough to do. You know, I remember scoring at Glanford Park to make it one-one. Um, but it, it it was tough for me, and it was tough for the players. But you know, the biggest thing is you can't you know mope around in life. You've got to pull your you know you've got to pull your shoulders up and stick your chest out and go. Okay, that's happened. I'll learn from it. But next time it won't happen again. And we did that against Swansea. Yeah, and there was quite some good players there at the time, wasn't there? Richard Hall, Neil Cox. Richard Hall, Neil on. Cox went on to have great... Well, Neil did, went out to great careers. Well, they all did. And to be truthful, at the time, you know, um, I keep saying about this mentor thing, I was a senior player and I loved to, to work with young players and talk with them and see what they, where they're going in their lives. And it's over the years, you, you know, you go and see... I've seen Paul Arsley recently... Uh, and, um, you know, I coached him when, when I was at Scunny. And it's amazing when you see him getting on in their little life and having babies. Well, not having babies, <laughs> family having babies, not them. But uh, I think it's, you know, it gives me a lot of pleasure doing that. Yeah, I mean, Neil Cox, um, he did very well, but he looked a fantastic player when he first came to Scunthorpe, didn't he? Oh, fantastic player, yeah. Uh, level-headed and him and him, uh, he was level-headed. I knew that he'd go on and, and, and make a career. You, you can see that with young players. They've got this sense of, you know, they've got a bit of character around them. You know, have a good upbringing with the family. That's so important, you know. And I think I remember, you know, looking at Coxie, Graham Alexander was around then. Uh, I knew yeah. them guys would go on and, and make careers. Yeah, you you were saying about some of the players that was there when you would be there, uh, Paul Longdon, and what a cracking little player he turned out to be. I know people used to call him the, the little assassin. Long, definitely assassin. Proper, proper put a tackle in. Let you know he was there in training, no problem. But he he was he, he had experience as well. You know, he was a, a good character as well for the dressing room, and that's a big thing in. It's, it's like maybe now, modern-day football, do they need characters in the dressing room or do just need their agents in the dressing room? But but Longy was a good pro. He was a good pro, an honest pro. He'd come in every day, give his all. And uh, like you say, he'd put a tackle in. I think he was right and left-footed as well, um, which, which helped. Yeah, he played left-back, but I think he was both-footed. Right, Mick leaves Scunthorpe United, Bill Green's in charge. And it didn't resign you, if that's how I remember it. Um, you went along to Stockport County. Yeah, Mick, um, Bill called me in and just said, "Look, we're not renewing your contract." Um, so it was one of them in them days. You, you know, you're coming out, you've got a family, you've got people to feed. Uh, I didn't see it coming, but it come, which is fair enough. Uh, you had to, you had to deal with it. In them days, you didn't have any um, people around you you know, agents around you to, to say, listen, I'll ring all this. You had to do it on your own. Uh, fortune for me, you know, I made a call to Stockport. Uh, Danny Begara was the manager. Uh, he brought me, he brought me in. I remember travelling from Scunthorpe every morning across to Stockport and then back to Scunthorpe. I had a, f- a good few months with Stockport, uh, but I was having problems there with my back and my injuries there uh, with hamstrings and that. And I, and I knew then, I think that I was about thirty, maybe then. I, I, and then I remember thinking, then driving back back to Scunthorpe from Stockport over the hills there in Sheffield, thinking, what am I going to do for the next twenty, thirty years? And then it clicked in. I want to be a coach. I want to be a manager. I want to be a system manager. I want to be. So I went and done my badges, and then I got released at Stockport and did the, the, did round the non leagues with Whitton Albion and Macclesfield Town, and that's where I met up with a guy called Sammy McElroy who was, uh, used to play at Man United, but he played at Man City, and we become really good friends. Well, you just led me nicely into the next thing I was going to ask you. When you was assistant manager to Sammy for Northern Ireland, that must have been a great feeling, although it wasn't England. It still must have been a great feeling managing a national team. Oh, it was in the Euros 204, it was fantastic. We were travelling all over the world with Northern Ireland, and... This is one of the biggest things in, in my career. We we played Spain at home in Northern Ireland and uh, we drew nil-nil and we've done a lot of work on how to stop Spain uh, playing and it, and it works. And David Ely, uh, one a really nice guy, I get on really well with him, he's coaching now in, uh, in, in Ireland. He had a one-on-one at the end of the game with about 10 seconds to go. Unfortunately, missed the target, but hey, that's life. It was, it was one of the best... 
as a coach, for me to, to have a plan and it work against someone like Spain uh, was unbelievable. But um, I think Greece went on to win the, to win the two o four. Yeah, and then it's back to next to nineteen ninety seven. Another phone call from Mick Buxton, and you're back at Scunthorpe United. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was at I was at Huddersfield as a youth coach, and uh, Brian Orton was manager. And he, he said he called me in and said uh, he'd had a chat with Mick. Mick wants to offer you so, uh, some coaching with the first team. Uh, what do you want to do? And I was I was loving my youth team work, and I, and he just said I I, I need uh, I need twenty four hours. You need to give me a decision. Uh, if not, I'll bring someone in to uh, to cover what you've done. So uh, within an hour, I rung. Brian Orton back and just said, look, I'm going back to Scunthorpe. I lived in Scunthorpe anyway, so it was fantastic to go back. And um, and um, I worked um, alongside Mick. And again, some success. Well, a lot of success. And it's what people remember Mark Lewis for at uh, Scunthorpe United was the semi-final of the playoff against Swansea. Losing 1-0 after the first one. Bring them back to Glamford Park. And everyone remembers, and when you talk about the playoffs of Mark Lewis charging round Glamford Park with a St George flag, but also don't know if you'll remember, there was a young lad called Alan Hudson who was a entertainer on the holiday camps up and down the country, and he'd come up from Cornwall just to watch um, the playoffs. And you said you've got a drum, and I said, well, give us that drum. And I got Alan, and he went in front of the crowd. Can you remember? And he's beating out the tune on the drum to get the crowd revved up while you're running around the pitch with the with the flag. So, what was the thinking behind that flag? Just to rev everybody up? I think the thinking with the flag was, um, I think it was Alan Curtis. I think at Swansea when we went to play at Swansea, he had a Welsh flag wrapped round him in his warm up. And uh, I think I took a Georgie flag, but it didn't work. But that played on my mind. I'm quite big into psychology. And that played on my mind a little bit because he came out and, yeah, we lost 1-0. But um, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell Brian Laws. I didn't tell the players. I didn't tell the staff, the chairman. But um, I uh, I had a plan to come out and, and run round the, the, the ground and, and, and plant, it in, plant it in the grass we're putting a marker down here. We're at home tonight. I think it was quarter to eight kickoff. And I remember coming out, and you might be right there with the guy there, because I remember coming out and turning left, and it was quiet. And all of a sudden, goose pimples are still coming on my arm now, but I remember going <laughs> left. And then all of a sudden, do you remember, was it the Mexico um, World Cup when everyone, all the seats went up and you raise your arms and yeah. then come down? It was like a, a Mexican wave. It all started, and all of a sudden, the scunny people, um, needed that and all of a sudden as I was running around it got louder and louder and louder and louder until I stuck it back down and then I remember running off and going back into the changing room and the lads were just about to go out and Lord, she said where have you been? I said oh it's alright don't worry about it and that's, <laughs> how it, that, that's, that, that's what happened and I patted everyone on the back going out all the players and when they come out they must have heard all them fans really up for it you know, you know standing on the seats clapping really and we scored obviously Doss scored a great great goal that we needed and then we're off and running obviously Johnny got sent off which was tough for him but no it just come to me in the week I'm thinking what can I do how can I how can I motivate us a little bit more we're in we, 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 you know we won game away from playing at Wembley in 99 how can we do it will, will this help of course it'll help but the first 20 hours no one, no one said out, and then all of a sudden it went up. <laughs> but what got me was, I think one of the guys with the police, one of the head of police, was like saying, "Get him off! Who is it?" And uh, <laughs> it could have been, it could have been uh, the groundsman, uh, but Scunny, uh, he said, "Oh, that's the assistant manager. He's all right. Okay, then don't worry about it." Right, but, that's uh, it. Yeah. But the Swansea fans, obviously, but I put it right in the corner where I knew the Scunny lads were. You know, the proper. You call yes. them, I don't know what you call them now, but you know they were up for a they were up for a battle and all that. But um, no, I wanted to do it for all all that stadium, all the fans to get them going. Saying, "Listen, we've got a chance to get in another league, and this is tonight where we're going to do it." And that's what we did. 
Yeah. As you've just said, Johnny Air got the, got the first and we're up and running and it looked like it was going to be a breeze. But to be quite honest, that is the most exciting football match in my 15 years of commentary that I've ever commentated on because one minute one club's going to Wembley and the next minute the other club's going to Wembley and it's all square. And I mean, they got a goal and it was Dave Gibbons actually commentating on that one. Yeah. And it made the bizarre commentary goals of the year that year because there was arms and legs flying everywhere, people sticking out feet, and the ball did finally go over the line. Um, and then a young lad <laughs> come on as sub, and we all know his name now, Gareth Sheldon, who scored two goals and we're on our way to Wembley. Unbelievable. Gareth, we... Gareth's come and played for us in a, in a reserve game. It could have been at Walsall one, 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 one afternoon. And he bagged two goals from about 25 yards. And me and Lawsy looked at each other and said, come on, we'll have him. And we took, I think we took him on. I think that was it. But, you know, I, I've, seen, I've, seen, uh, I've seen today the way he made the goal uh, at Wembley. And, and the yes. second he made it. But also, Alex Calvo, I, I said to Alex Calvo Garcia, I used to say, do you know Brian Robson? You can be a Brian Robson. Because Brian Robson always arrived late into uh, into the 18-yard box to score a goal. But no, um, he, he, um, he was fantastic. He, he, he just, he's, he's finishing, when you look at his goals, getting across the near point, uh, near post at Clamford Park and slotting it in, was, was fantastic. And that takes a lot of courage, but that takes calmness as a, as a striker. You need calmness. When you get in them situations, you need to... I always say big players, big games. You need to be calm and score that goal for us. And he did it. Yeah, when they scored uh, the one on the night, the away goal, I've been... Um had the Mickey taken for quite a few years over it because I remember saying, don't put the milk on for the go-go yet, mother. We don't know who's going and who's staying. And that's just how it turned out. But also, you've mentioned another player there that said, I'd like to talk about, and that's Alex Calvo-Garcia, the man that got the winner at Wembley. He seemed to start quite slowly at Glanford Park, and I don't know who did a lot of work with him, but somebody did, and he turned out to be a great player, and he's, well, a bit of a cult figure, really, in Scunthorpe. Yeah, I, to be truthful, I took Alex under my wing, to be truthful, because he came in, he couldn't speak any English, he'd come from Spain, no one knew him, so the lads come in in the morning, looked at him, thought, who is he? You know, one of them. I said to, to, to the club, we need to get a translator in, big big time and, and, and pretty quickly, because, um, you know, he's not understanding a lot of the stuff we're saying. He was going out, but I, we, we, well, me and Laws have seen a lot of, a lot of him, and uh, it was, it was, it was a strange one. I remember going down to the training one day, and uh, I asked the interpreter to ask Alex in Spanish what's left, what's right, derecha escada. And when we went down to training, we got all the lads. You used to get them in the line, and then you say right, and you had to sprint to the right, left, you had to sprint to the left. And with Alex, I put him in there, and I went, Derecha! And he shot off to the left. <laughs> Get out. And all the lads went, what's he doing? I went, that's his, that's his language. You don't know Spanish. Yeah. He don't know English. And straight away after that, everyone just put his arm around him. And, and, and all, all the lads in the dressing room, they were great. we had a great dressing room, by the way. Fantastic leaders in there as well. They took him under the wings as well. And, uh, but I remember it so clearly going down and saying, Derecha, Discara, and right and left. And he went that way. And I said, he doesn't understand. He understands that because it's Spanish, but he doesn't understand any English guys. It's like you guys going to Spain and everyone's talking Spanish. What are you going to do? So we got it nipped in the bud pretty quick there. And, and he went on to me. I love the guy. You know, one of them where you want to hug him. He's a smashing yeah. I don't say kiss him, but I want to hug him, like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, a fa- fabulous little fella. Yeah, just let's go back a little bit before that. Was you disappointed not to be offered the manager's job at Scunthorpe United when Mick went and Brian Laws got it? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit, but uh, at the time I was, I'd been at Huddersfield with Lawsy, so I knew Lawsy, so we, we, we were quite good for each other. But I remember the the game that I got put in charge when uh, Mick left. I mean, you know, and I think we won 1-0. I don't know if it was against Barnett or whatever, but I know, I remember 
in the dugout, um, one of their lads were counter-attacking. I think it was something like 3v2 against us. And someone kicked the ball out of our dugout to stop the, to stop the counter-attack. Now, I looked round at the uh, subs and they said it wasn't me. And I looked round at the physio and he said it wasn't me. So I looked and thought, oh, it must have been me. <laughs> so, so I was trying to get a result. But no, it wasn't. But say- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, you know, if you get it, I was 39 then. Would it be right for me? I don't. I'm not. Too, I'm not too sure. But, um, but um, no. Obviously, uh, Scunny. Over the years, you know, um, I've seen you know jobs come up there, and I've, I've wanted to go back there. Uh, it's a great club. Um, I don't know who's in, in charge at the moment in there, all you know the directors and all that, but. No, it would have been nice to maybe have a little shot at it, but I, I, I went and moved on to Halifax. How did Brian react when you went to Halifax? Did uh, he try and talk you out of it? Yeah, no. We, we, we had a, you know, we had a chat, and I, I went in to see him afterwards, after the final, and just said, Gaffer, I've, I've decided, I've been offered a chance to go to uh, Halifax as manager, and I've, I've decided to take it because I feel like I'm ready for, for manager. And he said, that, that, that's okay, I understand that. That, that. That's no problem. If you want to do that, that's fine. And that, that's the way it ended, really. You know, um, and, and we had, it was good, bad cop, you know, good cop, bad cop uh, throughout uh, our two and a half, I think it was two and a half years, maybe, that uh, we had together. And uh, we achieved what we wanted, to, we wanted to do and get promotion and uh, have it on your CV. But, um, you know, uh, and that it's amazing in, in life that was giving then Russ a chance to make his career going as a as a coach. So um, no, it was fine. You know, there was no 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 bad no bad uh, no bad language given or nothing like that. We just shook each other's hand and that was it. But like you know, like I said before, looking back, you're going at 39 because you've had another two or three years. Then broke into management. But hey, I've, I've been in management still uh, since as caretaker in the championship and that, and uh, I can handle that. I know I can handle it now, so it's it's good. Now, I'm going to tell you a story now that uh, you might have completely forgot, blanked, you might even forgot who I am, because it's been 20 years, but I'm reporting on a lot, was was playing away at Rochdale, and afterwards you had to come and console me, put your arm around me, and give me a bit of a talking to, because I'd reported on a goal, Looked down at my pad, never looked up to see the referee disallow the goal, and uh, you, you you brought me around, which I always have to thank you for. Yeah, I remember putting an arm around you, like you know, it was good. But um, I think you have to do that with people in life, you know, and that's what you know, that's what I am, you know. Sometimes you know, you've got to do that uh, in life, uh, and um, hopefully you. And you did, you did progress, and you got better. Don't get, <laughs> you got better. <laughs> but uh, but no, you. And I remember you. You're a good guy. You know, it's one of them. And 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 football in them days, you need good people around you. You need people that you can trust, that you've got respect for, and they can respect you. And and that's so important in life. And can you bring us up to date with what how Josh is getting on? He learned his trade at Scunthorpe, didn't he? He learned his trade at Scunthorpe. They were brilliant for him, uh, Nigel. Obviously, Nigel Adkins was his coach. Was his coach when he first went in? Uh, he done great with him. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story about Nigel. When Lord, me and Laws and Nigel was there, and he was physio, and, I, and I've uh, I like to think that I played a massive part in Nigel Adkins being a manager. 
because we, we lived in Scotland together and on an away games we used to come back from the game we we we'd load all the, all the kit into the to laundry and then we jump in the car jump on the on the team bus because they used to drive back towards Curtin and we used to jump off at uh, Scotta we'd go for a pint or two uh, and uh, one one uh, one day we, he was talking and he just turned around and said I think I want to be a manager so I turned around to him and said listen Nigel you're a physio you can be a physio till you're 50, 60. Go, go and have a go at it. If you get an opportunity, go and have a go at it. And a few years later, you know, he, he goes and takes the job at uh, Scunny and makes a really good career uh, about his uh, in his management. Yeah, what, what I liked about Nigel, because I sat with him on the team bus quite a few times when I was coming back, that was, after That's the right. game, um, that his glass was always half full, never half empty. Whatever... I think you could have lost six 0 but Nigel would have found a positive somewhere. Well, that's that's what we were like, and that's what that's that's what I was saying in Scunny. And he, he just wanted that. It was like me being a mentor to a mentee. He was at the mentee. It was, it was strange, <laughs> but no, he, he. And I'm really pleased he, he's gone on and done what he's done in his his, uh, his in his career, which has been fantastic. So uh, you know things like that. Scunthorpe people don't realise. You know you have conversations as guys and and. And it was great for him to ask me a little bit of advice, and and, and hopefully, hopefully, guided him in 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 being a manager. So, where does Mark clearly see himself going now? Well, who knows? Who knows? In, who knows in life in a journey? Uh, I'm, I'm a key worker at the moment in a care home in Manchester, but uh, in football, you know, uh, I'm I'm not anywhere at the minute. Um, I'm open to offers, you know, Scunthorpe, chairman listening. But uh, <laughs> but no, uh, Russ is in there. I'm pleased for Russ. He's, he's done really well. Um, I know when I left, I think Russ slotted into my slot, which uh, I give Russ, again, a lot of advice through his career. And he's had advice from other people, maybe better than me. But uh, no, life's going on, going all right. We're staying positive. You know, I've got uh, grandchildren now. Joshua's got two children. He's married, and um, but football never leaves you. It's in your blood, you know. And 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 you'll be the same. And people uh, people don't realise what football's like when you're in it. It can be cruel. It can be nasty. But it uh, but when you play at Wembley and win one 0 against Orion, it can be magic. Yeah. Um, who were some of the greatest players you played with? Oh, lots. I mean, Sammy McElroy was fantastic. Uh, played at Villa with uh, David Platt, Alan McAnally, um, Little Birchie, uh, Mark Walters, Tony Daly. McAnally was good. Played with Alan Evans at the back, uh, Martin Keogh, Nigel Spinks. All players that, you know, I'm an ambassador for Villa at the moment and I meet, we meet up there with the old school, 82 Gordon Cowens, Tony Morley, all them guys. But uh, Paul McGrath was a great guy that I worked with at uh, Villa. But uh, I could go on and on, and it's I'm, I'm fortunate I can you know I can I can speak tonight and, and remember things like that. There's a lot of uh, my uh, my age group around there in, in the late fifties, sixties who uh, unfortunately you know can't do that. You've got a little bit of dementia coming in. And uh, I feel for people like that, but uh, you know, I we could spend all night maybe talking and have a couple of beers or a few beers. Definitely finish off with a boon of curry because that was my nickname. <laughs> um, I just so, love curry for tea. Um, so, which manager would you rush back to play for? Wow, what a great question! Um, great question. I'd say Mick Buxton. Mick Buxton. Graham Taylor's up there, obviously. Uh, Billy McNeil was at Man City who signed me. He's up there. Arthur Cox, Danny Begara was up there. Uh, I think Mick trusted in me and knew me. He knew how to manage me. Some of the other managers that I've worked with didn't know how to manage myself. But um, but no, I think Mick could, Mick could be up there uh, respecting it. I still, like I said, still speak to him. But didn't Mick do some scouting for England? Yes, he's scratched for England. He's doing. He's retired at the moment. He's just retired. Uh, he's doing. He's doing okay. Um, but I, I think, um, like I say, I've, I've I've worked with some great managers, and, and you know, I think 
Mick would, Mick would be up there. Yeah, and of course, sadly, we, we lost Bill Green. Yeah, sadly, what a lovely fella. Even when he when he released me, I didn't feel I didn't. You know, like sometimes people have a go and they get nasty and all that. I just accepted it because that was that was Bill. He, he more or less was apologising for releasing me. Uh, but that was, you know, he I, I, was so respected guy. He went on to be really big scout at Southampton. And uh, and that's why we've got to embrace this life and be positive about it because, you know, before you know it, something could kick in. But it's great to talk to you tonight, I must admit. So how much have you seen training differ? I mean, people like Pep Guardiola do a completely different thing to to what old managers would do. Um, is it more talking or what is the difference? I think it's the players. And also I think it's the, the resources they've got around them. The, the people that they've got around them now, managers, the sports science side of it, the mentors around it, uh, they have a plan. And uh, with Pep, obviously I'm, I'm City and uh, I love him to bits. I'd love to be able to watch him train. But uh, he keeps it simple, it's simplicity, and he believes in his players, and that's so important. And we did that, with, to be truthful. I always believe, I always say that, believe in your players. They don't let you down. They didn't let us down in the 99 final. Them players didn't let us down. You know, we did a lot of psychology before it, with videos before the game, but I think I've been through the modern day. I'm still in the, in, in the modern day. So, you know, people come in and change it. It's... To be truthful, it's like years ago. It's all about passing, receiving, making space, moving. And um, Pep, Pep is uh, is up there with it. But if you always look at Pep when he goes after a game, he always goes up to the players, pats them on the back, even if they've not played too good. He always says something in their ear and he's always active with play. And it's all about the players. And I, 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 I feel I'm like that when I'm with players. You know, I can become friends with them, but sometimes... You know, you don't have to be friends with them, but, you know, you've got to always be on the positive side of it. And I think that's now, the modern day now, you know, um, they have leaders in their team. And I always say the big players turn up to big games. And that's uh, that's what the, the modern day game is now. Would you say Jose Mourinho, he was a modern day big stick manager and people won't accept his style of management and he's had tried to change back again. Yeah, but with put with managers like that, they'll they'll put how much media we got now. Every he'll, he'll, he'll put that on in, in that in that TV uh, video or whatever he's going to do with the TV. He'll go into the dressing room. He'll be entirely different cooking. He'll be entirely different guy on the on the training ground until the lads need a bit of a kick up the bum. In front of the media. Um, It'll, it'll be this, that and the other. Once they get back in, in the modern day, you need to keep that dressing room on your side. Because now, these modern day players, have got, they've got agents, they've got this going on, they've got brands, they've got everything. You know, they need to keep that dressing room really so tight and togetherness. City and Liverpool are great. You don't really, when it goes into the dugout, you don't really see lads moaning about being substituted. They're ready to go on and make an impact for that team. And when the when the guy comes off, he doesn't blank the manager. I think once um, he had it when he went, I think it was uh, the Chelsea, and he went and he passed uh, Mourinho. The guy took off, just walked past him and didn't shake his hand. And I, I thought then he might have lost the dressing room then. But now the Monday, you've got to make sure that, you know, the managers will say everything in front of it. But once they get in the dressing room, they're all together. You know, every yeah. man, they're all in it together. Bit like, well, it's just simple, like we was uh, with Lawsy and that. Everyone, I've got a picture behind me now, you can't see it, but uh, it's the full after the game with all the backroom staff, the doctors, the sports science guys we had, Paul Wilson, Brian Laws, Nigel Adkins, the physio. We've got everyone, the lads who didn't play, they're all in the suits. I've got a big picture behind me that uh, we did it together. It's not, it's not, it's not just me, it's everyone. Excellent. Um, we'll just change things a little bit. Did you watch the programme last night about mental health and footballers with uh, Prince William? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was, for me, it was it was like being a mentor and the way we, we talk to people who are struggling through uh, 
you know, through that, and uh, and also for them opening up, and uh, I think it was great because he he's experienced losing his mum, like he did, like he said, and uh, I think that's the way forward in the one day game. Now I think um, you know they're going to need mentors and psychologists uh, around them, just just to, just especially the elite players, just to support them, and and also the League One, League Two, you know, Championship, uh, non-league. And I think we've got to really play, and I, I, I want to play a part in that. So, uh, do you think, well, let's go back to yourself when you was a young lad. Did you ever have anyone to talk to, or dare you even mention mental health in the dressing room? Because as far as I'm aware, football, or what I've seen to football dressing rooms, you don't say anything that you don't want anybody else to know or take the mickey out of you. And so is that why you think young players have found it hard to talk to people about their mental health and other things. Yeah, I mean, when I I know when when I was at Huddersfield, I was seventeen. I made my debut at eighteen, and once once you made your debut and you was in the first team environment, you went into when you were a young lad, you got changed in the in the away team room. But when you got made your debut, you went into the first team room, and you're going in there, and this thirty five year olds there who've been in the game long enough, you've got you know a lot of banter flying around and you're, you're the young lad in there so a lot of banter flies at you you know and uh, I was quite lucky because Steve Kinden who was one of the senior players looked after me really you know he put his arm around me but you know um, some of the senior ones because uh, you you know you're thinking they're taking your place would you know would give you some really stick you know sometimes you'd come and, you know I'll be honest they'd come down out of the shower and start shaking Whatever they're going to shake in front of you, and, you know it's um, things like that you've got to deal with as as a guy. And um, I was quite fortunate because I was brought up uh, in a family where my dad was a boxer. Um, he gave me great inner strength to uh, to become a professional person. And uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think now we we have got to we have got to look at it and think. You know, anxiety and people struggling in life, especially with what's happening at the moment, but. Like I said, if I can complete my mentoring course, you know, I could hopefully play a part in a lot of people's lives. You just said that with what's happening at the moment and this coronavirus, we'll touch on that quickly as well. If you was playing today, would you want to start playing again now? Uh, no, I personally wouldn't because I believe it's just not about football. And there'd be a lot of people who disagree with me, but you know that's life. But my personal opinion, and if you know, we don't know when the virus is going to go. People think it's going to go. and we, we, You know, I could play in a game and smash into a player and he could hurt me, I could hurt him or whatever. And, you know, there could be blood flying around and everything and you, and you could get it. And then all of a sudden you could give it to someone else. So I think we've got to be really, really positive that it's clear, you know, and we're going to play games behind closed doors. But... In football, once you kick the ball off, you want to be, you want to get the ball, and you want to, you want to score, and you know, get past players. If you defend it, you want to head it, and you. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure on it. You know, it's um, it's a difficult one. But I, 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 um, I won't be as a player now, going out there and playing. I'd be a bit sceptical about if if the ball's overrun, do we go and try and tackle him? Might something happen to me? Do we breathe on him? Do we sneeze on him? And I think it's uh, it's tough at the minute for the modern day players and and, and the staff and all on on the management. Excellent. Um, well, listening to us also is two of my colleagues um, who have been listening tonight, and you've talked to earlier, and just like to bring them in if they would want to ask you anything before we let you go. Absolutely. Yeah, we've just been leaving you to it. Basically, we've been really enjoying this. Um, there's one thing that uh, we'd like to ask you, actually, Mark. Um, we recently spoke to Dwayne Holmes on this podcast, uh, and he. He had, you know, really, really great things to say about you. Um, he's obviously gone on, had some success, uh, you know, working with Derby, things like that. What was he like as a player and, and what's it like, you know, getting success with academy players and getting them, in some instances, into the... Fantastic. It was fantastic. Dwayne was, you know, Dwayne was great for me. I, I spotted Dwayne when, sorry, Dwayne when he was a kiddie when he was with us and uh, I got a lot of people around me and I was under a lot of pressure to say he was too small. He's not going to make it. And, uh, you know, I was trying to say uh, he will make it. Obviously, when he got released from Huddersfield, I recommended to Graham Alexander to take him to Scunny. And I said, you will make money on this guy. You'll sell him on because he's ready to move on. But uh, Dwayne was a great pro. But to work with uh, 
young players and develop them and to see their careers now. And, and we've got a few Huddleston who, 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 who we had at Derby. We've got lads who are playing in the, in the Premiership, in the, in the Championship, in League One, League Two and non-league. You know, I feel proud of it that we've made, you know, we've made an impact in their lives because a lot of these young players who come into the academies, you know, sometimes they come in and, uh, you know, the parents are, are split up. You know, they, they have problems. Um, we need to deal with that. We need to see that. As an academy manager, I, I can see that in young players. But uh, they need praise. They need to kick up with one sometimes. But Dwayne was, uh, I knew Dwayne and go on and, uh, and have a career. Uh, and hopefully he's going to kick on again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another thing that uh, we want to pick up on as well is you've mentioned him a few times in your conversation with Tony, and that's, of course, Josh Lillis, your son's play for us. Um, you mentioned early on in the episode at the start about you know, being settled in Scunthorpe, having somewhere for them to grow up. And obviously with that, you know, Josh Lillis came through Scunthorpe's youth setup. Uh, looking on that from afar, what was that experience like? You know, how, how did you rate Scunthorpe's youth setup at the time? And do you think that, uh, I suppose, has you know, benefited him in his career going forward? 100%, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, obviously I was in the game. The big thing that I didn't want to do was get involved with him. I just wanted him to, Willow was great with him. The the academy was, was great with him. Uh, and we we brought him up there. But I didn't really play a part in that. I kept away from it. I didn't want to be in there, you know, saying this, that and the other. It, it was a challenge for him that he needed to get through. And when he got his contract and uh, when, he, when he got his, apprenticeship and then he got his pro contract I was like absolutely unbelievably so happy but didn't really show me emotions I thought okay this is your stepping stone now uh, I remember getting called into Willow's office and it was the office that me and Willow used to share and uh, he'd give us the decision that they were going to give him a contract and uh, I didn't know about it I didn't want to know about it I didn't want to get involved in it I just wanted Josh to be part of trying to earn himself uh, a contract but uh I think uh, then, um, you know, the academy there then was great. And it's, I think it still is. Dawes is still there. But um, going back to Josh, I'm really, I'm really pleased for him that he's, he's gone on his, in his career and, he's, and he's, um, he's making a good goal of it, you know. Uh, he's out of contract at the minute, so I need to promote that, if you can promote that for us. Uh, he, needs, he needs a club for next season or the season after. But uh, no, uh, he's been released uh, from Rochdale. Um, and uh, like any other player, they need to get back in work. Um, so, uh, good question you've asked me. I hope I've answered it okay. But um, yeah, he really enjoyed, and I enjoyed going to watch him uh, in the academy, in the in the games that he played. It was great going as a dad, and not as a coach or a manager or nothing like that. Just going and uh, seeing him play, and then going back home, taking him home, and having a chat with him, see how the game went. But uh, yeah, it was great. There's, there's one game for me that stands out, which uh, Josh played in, and it was a, a night game at Millwall um, when we won the league, when we won League One, and he obviously um, was thrown in that night. I think it was a Friday night, and he, he had a great game, and we obviously won 1-0 with top scoring the goal. Um, were you at that game? And uh, I was at that game with my daughter Georgina. We, we drove down. Um, we were in the director's box, but behind all the Millwall lads who were a bit, uh, a bit uh, dodgy lads, but... Uh, he actually that that was his debut, and I remember coming out and we followed we followed the Scunny uh, bus out because they had a police in front of them because there might have been something something might bad have happened to the team bus. So I, my car was about one inch from the back of that team bus, driving back getting back, getting back onto the M1 and getting back to Scunny. You mentioned a little bit earlier on about um, your time in India. I was just wondering, what's the standard like out there? Because obviously we don't really hear much about Indian football, but we do see, we've, we've seen a few players kind of heading over there now as well to maybe finish the career. So yeah, I just wondered what the standard's like. It was great. It was great. I mean, the place obviously was great. I would say championship, halfway championship down maybe, the standard. We had, we had like I said before, we had eight nationalities. So we had Spanish, Portuguese, Dutch. Brazilian for me that was a for me as a coach I was in the element we didn't have any British players and we went on on the one it but it's developing over there the women's game's developing but obviously cricket is massive over there I mean we I, I stayed in Chennai for eight months over there and worked there 
and every away game, I, I remember talking to the kit man, he was Indian, I was British, so we didn't really get on. I just asked him, I said, where do we play Saturday? Are you away Saturday? He went, no, 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 we're away, yeah, but we, we have to get a flight. So we had every every away game was a flight. So we spent two or three days there preparing, and after the game, you'd have two or three days, and then you'd be back to Chennai. But uh, no, it was a great, for me as a coach, great experience and a great learning curve. You mentioned as a coach there, and actually I just want to take you back to Wembley for a little bit. Um, we've spoken again to a lot of Scunthorpe players that are in the squad around that time. And one thing that keeps coming up is, of course, the, the Dublin trip as part of preparation. And it'd be interesting to hear it from a coaching perspective. What was the thinking behind that one? It was just the thinking, go to Dublin and just let your hair down and, and, and don't worry about it. And And for players, not to look at the staff and be under... You know, they're looking at us, you know, under, forget the word now, but it was just to let everyone be ourselves. Everyone be yourselves, have a few beers, don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about that. But then when you wake up again, you get focused for the big game. And that was the, the thing with Lawsy and myself were on about. You know, we were, I think we were in, the, you know, having a drink with them and being part of them. And they didn't feel under pressure. You know, sometimes in life you can be, as a you know, as a player, you can look at the manager. What you know, what's he what's he thinking? We just went over as a load of lads on a on a do on a stag do maybe. Even though we had a massive game in front of us, and that was Lawsy played a good part in that as well. Must admit, but uh, also it was for us to go out and just go right. Let's go to work. That's a big thing. Let's go to work and let's produce and let's deliver. Let's deliver for the Scunthorpe United fans who have been there all seasons and not had something to cheer about. And that was a big thing for me. I think for me, just to just to wrap up, obviously, uh, while we're on the subject of Wembley then, what did that mean, you know, given your connection with the club as a player and then the transition to assistant manager, what did that mean and how special was that day? One of the, one of the biggest things up there in my career, to go, to go there and my wife to be, Jean to be in the all my family to be there, looking at the Scunthorpe United fans, going back to Scunny. I've lived in Scunny 17 years. I know what I know what the people want from a from a manager or an assistant manager. I know what the Scunthorpe people, I know all about them. I've been there, I've seen it. But to come away from it, Garcia scoring, that Brian Robson header coming late into the box, everyone playing a part in it, all the celebrations afterwards, it's right up there with, with my career. More as a coach as well than a player. You know, I've done well as a player, but more as a coach. I've always said to people, I get more joy at being a coach to see players progress and go on in lives and going in their careers than sometimes I did as a player. And, you know, and that's a big statement, but that day will, will be up there, uh, well, for the rest of my life. Uh, you mentioned as well, just talking about Scunthorpe United now, that of course, um, you know, it might be something that you're interested in. Of course, Russ is in charge, but we don't know if that's going to be permanent or not. We've had a, quite a few questions sent in from people that listen to this, uh, asking if that is something that you would, you either wanted in the past or would be interested in taking now. Yeah, I know. I, I know Russ well. I mean, you know, I think if they give it Russ, which I think... I think they should do, to be truthful. He knows the club. And, and, and the club seemed to be about bringing youth through. You know, he could not he could need a mentor in there or he could need an assistant alongside him that's um, got a little bit more experience who can guide who can guide all the coaches around him and, and the staff around him. And I believe I've got the ability to do that. You know, that's the way I've been in my life. I've always, I've always made sure my staff around me in the academies and all that... Are, when they're coming in the morning, they're, they're themselves. They don't put an act on. And I think Russell will do, do a good job there. And I think, like I said, if uh, if the club wanted me to go in there uh, and work alongside uh, uh, Russ and, and, and the staff, you know, I think I've got the experience working all over, you know working all over the world and places like that. I'm I'm, I'm 60 now. I still feel I'm 21. Um, I think it'll be um, good good for Scunny to be truthful. I mean, Russ doesn't know that now because we're not set out to him, but I keep in contact with him. He's a great guy. Uh, and I think Scunny really needs to get together and get that family togetherness again. I think it's good to have people who know the club, who know the fans, who know, who know the area, 
And I think that's good to have uh, staff around there and have local people in, 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 the, in the community working for the club. You don't know, you don't know in life what's going to happen. No, definitely not. Um, I think that pretty much covers pretty everything that we've had. I must say, we've myself and Matt, we really enjoyed just sitting back and listening to you and Tony have a chat there. Yeah, well, that's that's the way we are, isn't it? Tony's the same, you know, and uh, we could reminisce and reminisce. But at the end of the day, we're talking, we're, t- we're talking what we believe in. We're not we're not putting an act on. This is us. This is Mark. This is Tony. This is you. You guys. And uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Not at all. It really has. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And Tony as well. Thanks for you for you know helping us out with this one. It's been an absolute pleasure. And when you can talk to someone with the enthusiasm of Mark Lillis, you can talk to them all night. Hundred percent. And I'm sure all of our listeners will enjoy this episode. And uh, no doubt, send us some messages in because we'll definitely pass them on to Mark and we'll pass them on to Tony as well. I think it'd be great for people to hear this this episode when it goes out there. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you guys for doing this. Uh, and I guess we'll see you all on the next one. Yeah, and uh, regards to everyone in Scunthorpe and everyone in Scotter, all my mates in Scotter and everyone else. And uh, mm-hmm. stay safe, guys. If in doubt, have a nice glass of red wine. Yeah. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.